0: Holy, holy, holy are you, our God. Our Father, you are holy and holy forever. Lord Jesus, you are the holy Lamb of God. And Spirit of God, you are the Holy Spirit. We bow before you in worship, adoration, undeserved grace has been poured upon us in such abundance And so we simply bow before you, hearts filled with worship, and desiring now that as we hear your voice through your word, we would respond with lives filled with worship. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. We love the hymn Amazing Grace. It's one of the most popular hymns in our land. It's a hymn that for many of us when we sing it can move us to tears. We think of God's amazing grace, his undeserved favor that has been poured out on us who are so undeserving. But as we think of that Song, as we sing that song, at least for me, I sing it in worship and thinking of God's grace poured out upon me, but rarely do I take the next step. How do I respond? Other than giving thanks, other than worship, other than singing to Him, how can I respond when He has given me so much undeserved favor? You see, we aren't just recipients of grace. We are to be givers of grace. In fact, in the book of 2 Corinthians, we're told to excel in the act of grace. God's grace received should motivate us to be givers of grace. God's grace received Motivates grace given, or put it another way, God's surpassing grace towards us motivates us to innate to, and it enables us to excel in acts of grace. We've been looking for the last month at the joy of generosity, beginning with Gar's message four weeks ago. We looked at the generosity of God, and when we grasp the generosity of God, everything we have has been given to us by Him. Genesis chapter 1 is where God began and moved all the way through God's amazing gift to us of His Son. But all of that generosity that God has poured out upon us, when we grasp it, we develop an acquired taste for being generous. Generous. Lake unpacked that for us from Haggai chapter 1, that it needs to be an acquired taste. God is generous to us, so we acquire that taste of generosity back to him for kingdom purposes. And then we looked last week at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, that when we do that, it results in great joy. And as the people of God gave abundantly to the temple of God, to God's work and God's glory, they celebrated with exceeding joy. And this morning, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, chapters 8 and 9, really, we see that when we do that, we excel in the grace of giving. It leads us to excel in the grace of giving. All of this is part of the joy of generosity, beginning with God's generosity towards us, acquiring a taste for that generosity, rejoicing when we begin to feel the joy of being givers instead of receivers, and then committing ourselves to excel in acts of grace. If you'd open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, in the Bible that's in front of you in many of the seats, it would be page 967. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He is going to visit them, but he has already encouraged them and begged them to take up an offering to send to the Christians in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem are suffering for many reasons. Remember, the church had started in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus died. He rose again. The church grew exponentially in Jerusalem and then faced severe persecution. Christians were spread all over the globe from that initial persecution, but some did remain in Jerusalem. Those who remained in Jerusalem suffered greatly under great persecution. Probably many of them lost their way of making any kind of living. They were suffering economically they were struggling to make ends meet and paul as he plants churches in other parts of the roman empire is trying to encourage those christians now to contribute financially to help those those believers who are struggling in the mother church church back in jerusalem Paul is going to send Titus and some other believers with Titus to collect this offering from the Corinthians. And so he's writing to them, encouraging them, don't disappoint me, be ready, be prepared, give the offering so that you can serve others. He calls this offering an act of grace. When we think of Paul's admonitions to the Corinthians, those of us who know these verses well... We remember the phrase from chapter 9 and verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Lake mentioned that a couple weeks ago, and some of us may not feel like we're very cheerful. So if, you know, if we're not giving cheerfully, then it's better not to give because God wants it to come from a cheerful heart. Or some of us may feel like, I-, I want to be a cheerful giver. I know there will be a time when I could be a cheerful giver. It's just not right now. I'm just getting started with my marriage or my family or I'm, I'm building a house or I've got a lot of repairs, I've got a lot of debt. I, as soon as I put my house in order, I'm going to be able to then be a cheerful giver. Is that what God is talking about? We take that one phrase and we sort of lift it out of two complete chapters that that phrase is a part of. And this morning, we want to look at these two chapters as a whole. The key word in these two chapters that comes to us over and over again is the word grace. Now, it's coupled with synonyms for grace in the original. It could be grace. It could be the word gave. It could be the word to give. It could be to be generous. But those words bubble out of these chapters like a carbonated drink has bubbles popping up They pop up all over the place as we read through chapters 8 and 9. This morning, we're not going to be able to read both chapters completely. We're going to take parts of it in order to understand what God is saying to the church in Corinth and what he is saying to us. First of all, all of this grace, as we've seen this whole month, all of this generosity that we receive comes from God. Grace received is the grace of God, poured out on us, undeserved favor, undeserved blessing. God has graced all of us abundantly. We see that at the very beginning of chapter 8, where Paul begins to address the the Corinthians about their need to give to the church in Jerusalem. Chapter 8, verse 1. Says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, it's God's grace, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's northern uh, uh, Greece today. So God has poured out his grace on those churches. And Paul is going to give an example of God's grace poured out on those churches. Now, if you turn over to chapter 9, the very end of chapter 9 where paul is concluding this conversation he's uh, in verse 13 he's encouraging the the corinthians to give to the church in jerusalem but look at verse 14 he says the church in jerusalem what will they do while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of god upon you god's grace poured out on the corinthians but it's been experienced now by the church in Jerusalem. And then it concludes with these powerful words from verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is that inexpressible gift? It's clearly the gift of Jesus. That God so loved you and me and the whole world that he sent his only unique gift Son, that whoever would believe on him would never perish, but would have eternal life. That is an inexpressible gift. It's inexpressible because none of us can fathom what it meant for the Father to give us his Son, knowing he was coming to die. None of us can possibly imagine what it meant for Jesus to step out of the glories of his position in heaven and come to live among us on earth in desperate humility going to the cross. None of us can imagine what it meant the holy spirit who is jesus own spirit to have to come and energize and strengthen jesus because he has humbled himself so desperately none of us can possibly comprehend the inexpressible gift of god that's god's grace supreme above everything else none of us could ever match it none of us can ever come close to it that is the conclusion that paul comes to Doesn't matter what excuses we may have. Doesn't matter how we feel we are right now, economically or financially. None of us can ever come close to what God has done for us. God's grace is grace received by us. The richness of God's grace is described most succinctly through Jesus in chapter 8 and verse 9. If you look at chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Look at the contrasts in that verse. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's grace received by us. He was rich, In what way was Jesus rich? Well, Jesus owns everything. In what way did he become poor? He humbled himself and lived among us. And because of that, we now become rich out of his poverty. What does that mean? The material and the spiritual dimensions of wealth go hand in hand. In the example of the grace of Jesus, there is both material and spiritual wealth. We so often separate these, but look at this example. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. Jesus owns everything. Hebrews chapter 1 says he created it, so he owns it because he's the creator of it and he has the rights to it and he sustains it. Jesus owns everything and yet what did Jesus say to one disciple who wanted to follow him? Jesus said to to that disciple Matthew chapter 8 verse 20 foxes have holes birds of the air have nests But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The one who owns everything did not own a house, did not own a bed, did not have a mattress. He who was rich became poor in a material sense but also in a spiritual sense. Jesus, who is life, is the definition of life, is the source of life, who created all the life that we know here on earth, who gives life, gave that life, and died. He bore our sins. That's what we've just been singing about. He bore our sins on the cross so that we might have life. The material and the spiritual in Jesus' life walked hand in hand. He didn't separate them. He didn't live in a dichotomous way. This is my physical life and this is my spiritual life. And yet so often we look at the spiritual, we say that my spiritual walk with God is something very sp- special, very personal. It's between me and God and it's, it's just my relationship with God. My, my physical world, my material world, that's different. No, it's not different. God did not make us to live in a two-personality kind of life. We are integrally made as one. And what we do spiritually has to show up physically. That's what Paul is talking about as he says, look at the example of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given so that we can give just as Jesus gave to us Martin Luther said I've tried to keep things in my hands and I've lost them all but what I've given into God's hands I still possess you see grace received motivates grace given and we have been the recipients of God's grace in abundance. This passage begins, chapter 8, verse 1, with the grace of God. It ends, chapter 9, verse 14, with the grace of God. And then verse 15, his inexpressible gift. Chapter 8, verse 9, the unbelievable grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, became poor for our sakes. Grace received, that's what we've received, motivates grace given I love what Augustine said, why we often don't experience the abundance of grace God wants to give us. Augustine said this, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. You see, God has given us things and we hold on to it and we grab it. It's mine, it's mine. No, it's not mine. God gives us so that we can give it away and as we give it away, he gives us more. But when we are holding on to what we've got, we don't have the ability to receive the abundance of the grace God still wants to give to us. Grace received motivates grace given. The grace we received is God's grace. But the grace given needs to be given by us to others. We've received from God, and now we give to others. In chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, this is called our act of grace. Verse six, accordingly, we urge Titus as he had started so he should complete among you, what? This act of grace. Paul is sending Titus to take this offering from the church. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in what? This act of grace. Financial giving is an act of grace. Boy, we don't think of it that way very often, do we? We think of it as an obligation, as a responsibility. It's an act of grace. Grace given, we we have an illustration of this grace given from the Macedonians. The Macedonian church, that church in northern Greece today, it would have been the church in Berea and the church in Thessalonica and the church in Philippi. Those churches, this is their example of grace given. Chapter 8, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They've already taken up an offering to give to the church in Jerusalem. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He's talking about the saints in Jerusalem. And this not as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. What was this Macedonian example like? Look at the, look at the contrast. Just as the contrast we saw in Jesus' life, being rich became poor, so that through his poverty we could become rich. Look at the contrast in their lives. Verse 2, it was out of severe test of affliction. They've been persecuted. They are struggling. We know that from the church in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica. We know that they struggled greatly when we read those, those epistles to the Philippians and to the Thessalonians. But out of that affliction, their abundance of joy sprang forward. You don't think of afflicted people. People are being persecuted for their faith overflowing with joy, but they did. And then it keeps going. It was out of their extreme poverty, not a little bit of poverty, but extreme poverty that a wealth of generosity flowed. So they weren't like we can be sometimes. Lord, I want to give to kingdom work, but I just can't right now. I need to... No, they... They couldn't. They were extremely poor. And yet, a wealth of generosity poured out of them to help others who were in need. This is the resilience of a life that both receives grace, grace from God poured out on them, verse 1, and then excels in giving grace. None of us are too poor to give if the Macedonians could give. Verses 3 and 4, they gave an unexpected amount of generosity. They gave not only according to their means, verse 3, but beyond their means, begging Paul for the favor, the grace, the opportunity of taking part in relieving other saints even though they needed help themselves. They were unexpectedly generous. Verse 5, they put first things first. They not only gave financially, but first of all, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then by the will of the Lord, they gave themselves to us. What does that mean? They gave an offering and gave it to us. You see, when we give ourselves to the Lord, when we truly give ourselves to the Lord, it's going to work out in our life, in our physical, financial life. That's why Jesus talked about finances in 40% of his parables. Because we want to separate that and say, no, my walk with God is one thing, and how what I do with my, the rest of my life is different. And Jesus says, no, it's not. It's all the same. They gave first things first. They put first things first. But a sur- sincere surrender to God drives joyful participation in his kingdom, his kingdom work. And yes, that means serving him. Yes, that means giving of our time. But it's far more than that. It means giving financially as well. We are to give in all of these ways. And so not only do the Macedonians give us an example, but we have an act of grace that we are called to. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, but the reason the Holy Spirit kept this letter for all of us is because it applies to the Highland Park Baptist Church in Southfield, Michigan. So what is our act of grace supposed to look at? We'll keep going in verse 6 of chapter 8. We already read it, but look at it again. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. They, They would complete their act of grace. But as you excel in everything, the church in Corinth excelled in faith, excelled in speech. They, they spoke in tongues, yes, but they, they were able to communicate the word of God clearly to other people. They excelled in knowledge. They knew their Bibles. They knew the word of God well. All of these things that we as Christians want to excel in, these are spiritual ways of excelling. They excelled in all of those things. They excelled in earnestness, in fervency. They were fervent for the gospel of Jesus Christ and their love for God. You excel in your love, our love for you and your love for us. That's actually probably what it means there, that last phrase. In all of these ways, you excel in love. You excel in fervency. You excel in knowledge of the word of God. You excel in your speech. You excel in your faith. And then Paul says there's one more thing you need to excel in. See that you also excel in this act of grace. What's he talking about? Their offering of finances to the kingdom of God. You see, what we give financially is a spiritual act of grace. We can know our Bibles inside and out, and we can memorize them inside and out, and that is beautiful. We can have so much faith and that pleases God. We, we can be able to communicate the gospel with our words really clearly. That honors God, but we must also excel in this act of grace, money. And if we separate the two, and if we're doing all of these, what we would call spiritual things really well, but financially not very well, then we have to ask ourselves, have we given ourselves first of all to God? which is what the Macedonians did. Because when they did, out of the abundance of God's gifts to them, they willingly, abundantly gave. If we excel spiritually, it's going to show up financially in our giving as well. Secondly, in chapter 9, verses 5 to 7 he goes on, he talks about sending Timothy to collect this offering and everything. But then we get down to chapter 9, verse verse 5. He says, I, I, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you promised, the offering. So Titus and these other men are going to go and collect this offering so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. I'm not taxing you guys as a church. I just want you to give willingly. Verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also weep sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We know that is true, right? If a farmer just throws out a few seeds, he's going to only get a small harvest. If we only save a little bit of money, then when we retire, we're going to have a hard time. If we only put a little bit of money into a stock market, then when the stock market rises, we're only going to get a little bit back. We know that. That's a simple... But it's true in the kingdom of God, too. When we sow a little bit, we only harvest a little bit. He goes on to say in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What kind of person does God want to give? How do we give? We give cheerfully. We give willingly. But we're, we have to remember that if we give a little, then we're going to reap a little. And then we, we keep reading, and in verses 8 to 11, we find that grace abounds towards us, spiritual grace, which includes all of our finances. Grace abounds to us so that, and those are key words. They appear over and over again in these verses. So that grace may abound through us. It abounds to us so that, it may abound through us. Look at verse 8, chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Remember, that's knowledge of the Word of God. That's ability to speak the Word of God. That's faith. And that's finances. All of it. God lumps it all together. He's able to make all grace, all grace abound to you so that, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He makes it abound to us so that we will abound in good work. Not so that our bank accounts will abound. Not so that we can accumulate and accumulate. But so that we can use what he's given us For good work, for kingdom work. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Brothers and sisters, God is not a hoarder. And so we cannot be hoarders. Everything that is belongs to him, and yet he constantly gives it away to us. And he's saying, I want you also to give it away for my work. As it is written, verse 9, he's quoting from Psalm 112, talking about the righteous person who imitates God. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. It's just giving willingly and freely. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. What's it for? For sowing, not to keep not seed to put in our barns or in our bank accounts, but for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's meant to build the kingdom of God, not our own kingdoms, not our own barns. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God enriches us so that we can enrich others so that we can be generous in every way, which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. Brothers and sisters, grace abounds to us so that grace will abound through us. That's God's purpose in blessing us as he has. Recent studies show that Americans who give, who who come to church regularly Of all those who come regularly, only 5% give a tenth of what they earn back to the Lord. That's nationwide. Only 5%. A tenth is the minimum God expected in the Old Testament. Actually, when you calculate what God called on his people to give in the Old Testament, it was well more than double that. But a tenth was the starting place. the average Christian giver in the United States, the one who gives regularly, annually, the average Christian giver gives less than $1,000 per year. That would mean if we're doing the minimum, a tenth, the average Christian makes only $10,000 a year. That's none of us in this room, I would guess. Only 1% of households that make $75,000 or more, tithe. Christians, only 1% of households who make $75,000 or more, tithe. Just think of what we could do if we realize that God gives to us so that we can give to his kingdom work. Just think of what we could do. We could reach all of the unreached people groups in the world if God's church in America would do this. We could literally, if Christians in America gave just 10%, not anymore, we could could feed all of the hungry in the world without the United Nations helping us. Why doesn't it happen? Because we are still accumulating for ourselves, thinking we need more. God gives us his grace so that we can generously give it away. The result of generosity we see in verses 11 to 13. We already read the end of verse 11, people give thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, they will glorify the Lord. The people who receive it in Jerusalem are going to glorify the Lord they're going to give thanks again it comes back up in the following words but what kind of Christians give like this look at verses 13 and 14 what kinds of Christians give generously it says verse 13 by their approval of this service the people in Jerusalem who receive your gift they will glorify God because of your here's the description of people who give generously your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them. You see, submissive Christians who are confessing Christians will be generous Christians and will never reach the equivalent of God's grace to us. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Grace received motivates grace given. We're going to take an offering now as we close the service. And my prayer has been this week that we will respond to the Lord, recognizing that God has graciously given to us and we want to graciously give back. And my prayer has also been that this will not be a one off. Well, this Sunday, let's do something special. Brothers and sisters, can we as a congregation make a commitment that we are going to recognize that when we receive the grace of God, it is so that we will excel in this act of grace. Not just this one Sunday, but consistently. I know that some of us don't come with a lot of cash in our pockets, and some of us don't come with checkbooks, but It would be okay right now if you took out your phone and went to our church app or our website. You could give that way as well. But if we have been recipients of God's grace, he gave to us so that we can excel in the grace of giving. Lord Jesus, we bow before you now. So, so amazed at your grace. It's amazing grace that has saved wretches like us and not only saved us, but you continue to pour out your grace, your goodness, your generosity upon us. You are a generous God and we want to acquire a taste for generosity. We want to be able to overflow with joy as we give and so today, help us to excel in this act of grace as we begin a practice of giving to you as you have given to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.